Good morning. Thank you, Lisa and Laurie, for our reading from Genesis chapter 14. It is probably just as well that we didn't start at the beginning of the chapter, because we would have ended up sounding like the classic British commentator trying to get their tongue round the names of Eastern European footballers. There's a wonderful list of ancient kings and peoples who all go out together for a grand punch-up. I thought at first this was just a local event of the sort that used to happen between rival clans in medieval Scotland, but on closer examination it turns out to be a bit more serious. The invading kings come from powerful cities that were some of the earliest on earth, in the valley of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in modern-day Iraq. The Bible has preserved some of their prehistoric names, and during the last 200 years we've been digging up remains of them, some of which you can see in the British Museum. Evidently these kings exercised a profitable control over the peoples to their east, to their west, where Abraham now settled. So when these peoples rebelled, the kings organised a punitive expedition. A quick reminder of the local geography. Modern Israel and Palestine are at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea, with a coastal plain and further east the hills of Judea, Samaria and Galilee. Beyond them is the Great Rift Valley with the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee to the north and the Dead Sea to the south. And the other side of that, the hill country, which includes the modern Golan Heights, and in Bible times was the home of the peoples of Ammon, Moab and Edom. Beyond that, the Jordanian Desert. You cannot travel directly east unless you know exactly where the oases are. So to bring their armies from the Tigris and Euphrates Valley into Canaan, the kings have to go right round the desert to the north, through modern Syria, then they come sweeping south and subdue, the biblical word is smite, the people in the hills east of the Jordan. And after doing that, they turn back north up the Rift Valley and smite the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the process hoovering up Abram's nephew Lot. Given the choice by Abram, Lot has decided to settle in the rich valley by Sodom and Gomorrah, which in all sorts of ways is turning out to be a bad move. What will Abraham do about it? Not for the last time in Israel's history, he decides on a daring rescue. Incidentally, this is my personal reason for not being a pacifist, that I could not stand by and watch someone else being abused if it was in my power to do something about it. Having said that, I have to acknowledge that no one can accuse pacifists of cowardice, remembering the heroic risks taken by the conscientious objectors who served as stretcher bearers in the First World War. We find in the previous chapter that Abraham has become very rich. Now he appears almost like a Japanese shogun leading out an elite strike force. They chase north after the kings, split into two bands and stage a night assault. Something which is very easy to get wrong, but it's a total success. The invaders are routed and Lot is rescued. 
This dramatic rescue is followed by some interesting complications. This is a record of events nearly 4,000 years ago, so what is it to say to us today? First, I'm going to take the issue of tainted money. Abraham wants nothing to do with the wealth of Sodom and Gomorrah. He knows where it's come from, and we'll be hearing more about that later in the year. One of the good developments in recent times has been the attack on money laundering and the proceeds of crime to make it harder for criminals to profit from the misery of others, from modern slavery, human trafficking and the like. This is, of course, a constant battle and we need to hold all those involved in our prayers and be patient when we have to fill in the, all the forms the banks now require. And then we need to ask ourselves, what of our own money? Earnings or investments or both? Does the way we earn our money or invest it serve the purposes of God's kingdom? This may require an ethical audit, but it's also a call for creativity. In the 18th century, some Quakers did very well from themselves brewing beer. But profit wasn't the only motive. They were keen to persuade working people that beer was so much better for them than gin. And they largely succeeded. Ethical enterprise and investment. And next, tithing. Abraham gave a tenth of everything to God Most High. I do recommend developing the habit of tithing, giving a tenth of your income to God. You can build up to this by degrees if you're not sure or if you have debts to clear, and you can calculate the tenth in various ways before or after tax or various other considerations, but setting up regular giving is an important part of acknowledging God's sovereignty in your life. And it's so encouraging to know that money which you might otherwise be tempted to waste is going somewhere where it will do real good. And I can testify that God will never leave you short if you allow him to direct your giving. Abraham gave a tenth of everything to God Most High. There is an interesting development here. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, possibly an old name for Jerusalem, who comes out to meet Abraham, is priest of God Most High. The title, God Most High, seems to reflect the usual understanding of those times that there was a god who was chief or king over all the other gods, like Zeus in Greek mythology. Abraham acknowledges the sovereignty of this God Most High by giving Melchizedek a tenth of the plunder, but follows this up by declaring to the king of Sodom that he has sworn an oath by Adonai El Elyon, the Lord God Most High. Abraham is declaring that this God Most High is none other than the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, and that he is the one and only God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Being human in a God-shaped world means acknowledging whose we are and whom we serve, acknowledging God's sovereignty. We call on him in our distress, and so we should, but we should also honour him in our triumphs. Sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. 
says Old Hundredth, the old version of Psalm 100. For why? The Lord our God is good. In his moment of triumph, Abraham acknowledges his debt to God and proclaims the sovereignty of the Lord God Most High. Finally, there's Melchizedek himself. He's mentioned twice in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the letter to the Hebrews gives him the whole of chapter 7. Why? Well, I'll give you a clue. Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. Does that remind you of someone in the New Testament who gave bread and wine to his disciples? If I was like one of the preachers of old, you'd be here for another hour and a half at least while I tell you all about Melchizedek. This is just to give you a taster. The letter to the Hebrews points out that Melchizedek is both a priest and a king. That Abraham acknowledges his authority and that all this is happening some thousand years before the law was given to Moses at Sinai. Hebrews argues that Jesus is a royal priest like Melchizedek. So he takes precedence over the temple priesthood and the routine of sacrifices established later at Mount Sinai. Jesus has fulfilled all the old law by offering himself as a perfect sacrifice, completing everything for which the tables, temple sacrifices were a temporary fix. Because of Jesus, all our sins are swept away. If you will come to him, you are offered a new start and a new life. We are given the right of access to the presence of God himself, our Heavenly Father, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. So, Abraham has proclaimed the sovereignty of the Lord God Most High. He has challenged us to dedicate our finances to him by ethical earning and investment and regular serious giving. And Abraham carried out a daring rescue. We too are called to a rescue mission. Melchizedek inspired the letter to the Hebrews to proclaim the universal and total effectiveness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people all around us who urgently need to hear this, people being carried off by powers they don't understand. Are you ready for your part in this rescue mission? Amen.